Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another edition of FNO InsureTech. Asterisk. Asterisk okay. International episode. That's right. It's our first. Is it? Yeah, it might it's the be. the first time we've been international. Yeah, not the first time we've had international guests on from no. a guest from other countries. Yeah. But the first time we've been in a, another country and, and done an episode of our podcast. How exciting. Right? Not only is not only are we in England, London, England, we are together this podcast, we were doing this podcast together. Two things. One has never happened. The other happens very, very rarely. I, I'll say this. I, I I love England. Oh, I love England. I love the history. I love the tea. I've already got a teapot ordered. I love everything about it. So Lee and I had the uh, privilege of going to London to work um, on projects that we have going on in the London market, in the London insurance markets. We had many meetings with a number of fascinating people. Yeah. And in between it all, we were able to have the opportunity to meet with Matthew Grant, the CEO of Instec, mm-hmm. an organization that you might know of. You might know of Matthew Grant from his podcast. Right. And big, big podcast. And to kind of get a primer and an introduction to the London market. And that's that's what we did. We were able to actually get him into a studio in London and we did a full, you know, 45 minute hour long podcast where we talked all things insurance here in the States, there in London. We did a deep dive into Lloyd's of London and why it matters to America and, and what happens over there. And the podcast was great. But then even the conversation after the podcast that didn't get recorded was great. And we went out for tea. We went out for tea. We had tea. We had we had a proper tea. And he might not say proper, but I thought it was a proper tea. And our conversations were were wonderful. And we really appreciated getting to visit with Matthew. And I think I think you're gonna enjoy it as well. And also the first time that we've ever, out of two hundred and fifty plus episodes, ever done our podcast in a recording studio. Yeah. I hope that's not our last time. Proper, proper recording studio. It was a great delight. It had lighting, the microphones had arms. There was there was boom. water beside booms. and there was a couch. Yeah, booms. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's proper. There's a couch to sit on. It was oh, there was sound dampening. It was fantastic. We're, we've got to go back to England just to do another podcast because that was such a great setting. hundred percent. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. We were there for alacrity, for our real jobs, and yeah, um, real jobs, and it was fabulous. We got to go to Lloyd's of London, which was fascinating, wasn't it? Though, fascinating. I loved it. That was I that was it. really terrific. And uh, just being in the in the environment for a couple of insurance people was uh, exciting beyond words. And mm-hmm. and but one of absolute the highlights for us was having an opportunity to sit down with Matthew Grant and hear all about what he does and the impact that he's having 
in that marketplace as well as internationally. So mm -hmm. uh, instead of listening to us, let's listen to Matthew Grant, tune in to his episode as the CEO of Instech. Hey, everybody, we are here for a super special edition for many reasons. Yeah. Not the least of which is we are sitting in a studio in London, England. Uh, we are across the pond. We, <laughs> Lee and we I crossed we made the it. pond yesterday. We we got on a plane in Dallas, Texas and yeah. woke up and it, we were in London, England. We were. Uh -huh. And it's very exciting to be on site to do our first on site podcast over in the uh, UK. Right. And um, and not just are we here in London, England, but we have a super special guest with us today. We do. We have we have Matthew Grant, who's the CEO of Instech, joining us in the studio. In the studio. Welcome, Which is Matthew. something that we never get to say because we're never in a studio. So this is all very new to us. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for coming. No, I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, well, we're very honored to be your, your first should we call it a proper podcast when we can actually see each other's faces and talk? That's so, right. No, really looking forward to it. And I'm sorry it's raining today in the UK, kind of confirms all the prejudices you had about miserable London. But uh, I think it had a nice day yesterday in the sunshine. It was we, a great day yesterday. We got in We got in, uh, in the middle of the day yesterday and it was beautiful. The skies were blue and the streets were like lined with people. Yeah, we thought everyone lied to us. We just assumed, <laughs> really, everyone, every, that is one of those fibs people say to don't come, you know, to not come. But Today is a little bit gloomier. Well, we can do one day of sunshine. I don't think we can do two in a row in February. So that's uh, right. You can only have so it. much. It was it was really interesting because we've been out walking around today some too, and it's raining. But and people have umbrellas, but they're not using them. Well, it's not like gushing rain. Well, it's not gushing rain. You've but been it's really raining. into this umbrella thing. There's a, there's rain or there's not rain. It can sprinkle. That, it can have true. different degrees of rainness. That's true. Well, we but, used one. We used one. But anyways, enough of this. We're here to talk with Matthew about Instech, and we've been kind of working up to this now for a month or two and, yeah. and getting to know each other. A shout out to Bob, Bob Frady real quick, who connected yeah. us. Hey, yeah. Bob. Thanks, Bob. And um, so let's start by asking you about Instech. You're the CEO of the company. What a very unique and unusual company. Tell us about, tell us about Instech. No, thanks. And actually, thanks to Bob as well. Uh, we're great fans of Bob Frady. So essentially, our the reason for existing is two sides to the business. So we help insurance companies understand what is actually happening around themes related to technology and innovation. So trying to get beyond the hype and the stories, but actually what is really making a difference to insurers on the one hand, and then really looking for technology companies that are providing solutions new, but actually also ones that have been around for quite a long time. And, and bringing them together, bringing those two together. And we do that through live events, digital events. We do it through reports. We, do it, we have our own podcast. Yeah. And essentially, we are a global community, about 30,000 people who actively engage with us. And it's, uh, it's tremendous, the power of the community. That's wonderful. Is it mostly here in the, in the UK? Is that where these 30,000 people are at? Or is it US-based? Well, we had a webinar last week. We had 58 different countries represented. 58 wow. different countries. Wow. And uh, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, so we get the US audience, and then the Australians get up at three o'clock in the morning or something to listen. But about 25% of our audience is, is in the US. So oh, okay. physically over here most of the time, but we're actually over in New York on, the, uh, on March the 14th doing an event with Google, 
back over there again in June. Uh, and so physical presence, not so much, but yeah, digitally. And, and, the, and the way we look at the companies out there, we, we're actually looking at what's happening across the world as opposed to just silly what's happening out, out in Europe or the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's always very interesting to see where our downloads happen around the world, because as I'm right. sure you know, you know that's one of the pieces of, that's one of the metrics that we get is uh, often an episode gets downloaded in each country, right? And it's it's actually fascinating to see how broad the reach is. Yeah, it's all over. Uh, and all the interest is, is in, in InsureTech. It's not like we get thousands and thousands of downloads in far off countries, but but all over, right? I mean, uh, where do you have large audiences here, US, and where else? Uh, well, then then uh, Australia, then continental Europe, as I mentioned, about fifteen percent, uh-huh. and then a bit like you, I mean, sort of we've got little pockets like in uh, places in South, South America, Mexico, areas like that. Israel, Israel, exactly. So I mean, it's, yeah. it's a pretty high correlation to where there's a lot of insurance and a lot of innovation. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, so we try and yeah, we try and. We still write in English, English as opposed to American English. But we, uh, <laughs> when we go, we have a big debate about going to New York. Did we describe our New York event with American spellings or English spellings? So we've gone, <laughs> we've gone the right way. We've gone American spellings. Well, that's oh, okay, okay because I'm, I'm sure, like you, you, you understand about you know two thirds of what we're saying, and and yeah, right. and, and, it, <laughs> yeah. and it's the same in both directions. So, but I got, I mean, you asked on that, uh, and you can cut this out. But it took, I've worked for American companies for years, and it took me about twenty re- years to realize that. When you say something's quite good in American or America in the UK, you mean two completely different things. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I've said that already at this trip. What does quite good mean here? Uh, Well, if you say quite good in in the US, it means it's it's fantastic. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. If you say quite good, someone says to you quite good over here in your trip the next few days, it's a very polite way of saying, hmm, not too sure about that. Oh, yeah. really? So, uh, well, I apologize. So take it for the best and just take it and say, thank you very much. I'll go with that. Okay. Well, well you're quite good goodly. Thank you. You're, you're quite <laughs> good too, Rob. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm interested in these events mm-hmm. that could mean any number of things. Tell us, tell us about the events and, and, and how that kind of, was that when you set the company up, was that where you saw it going? Or mm, That's exactly I, where it started. So Robin Mertens, my business partner and co-owner, who started up originally back in 2015, yeah, back in the early days of what was then InsureTech, felt there wasn't really a place for people who were starting new businesses or looking to start a new business to get together. So he put some money behind a bar, about 100 people turned up, and uh, he just started talking about what they're doing. And that was sort of the evolution of it. We then moved to some bigger premises, ended up in a nightclub with a sticky floor on a Monday evening. <laughs> uh, and then, that was our monthly event and got 200 people. So still get 200 people. We've upgraded the premises now. So we do those once a month and, and we try and make sure there's a balance of people from insurance as well as people building companies. As I mentioned, companies of all sizes these days. We've got pretty short attention spans so we can manage about five or eight minutes on stage talking to people. We move people through fairly quickly so that if someone's turning up and even if it's not, so that topic is not their particular area of interest, you know, somebody else would be interesting. We try and still get a few crazy startups on stage because they're always quite fun talking about what they're doing. Yeah, but they're ultimately, exciting. you know, the sponsors keep us in wine and food. So uh, we still need to have a few sponsors who are also, I should say, very interesting on stage. So we do those in the evening and then we do breakfast events. We've got quite specific networking events now. We're doing one coming up in a couple of weeks where we're just bringing in companies that are investing in insurance and insurers that are investing and that they're the only ones in the room so they can walk around and know they're not, you know, they're talking to peers and and learn. Are those VCs or are they... uh 
uh, corporate venture. Yeah, a bit of both. Yeah, corporate venture. So, I mean, the benefit of being London, as you'll discover walking the streets, is that everybody works within about literally a 10-mile, sorry, that's right, a 10-minute radius, right. one-mile radius. So that's got lots of benefits. You can cram a lot of meetings in, as you're, I know you're doing. You can have an event right. and people can turn up pretty easily. You can make the events pretty short. So all of that means, yes, yeah, so if you bring together a community that people can turn up for an evening, see a few people, and then just go home and haven't eaten into their... Uh, personal life too much why why is it that everything's crammed so close here like in the states right we're just spread out i was telling rob if we want to go to two different insurance companies it, it could be you know states away thousands of miles here it's upstairs here it's just downstairs yeah. is that just how it's done here everybody comes and it's and everyone works well together uh, that's two different questions. Do they that's work that's well two different questions. You're right. I added the the, the little piece there. Uh, I would say actually talking to my American friends, I think we've had more people actually come back to the office now, you know, post COVID, and people mm -hmm. say, so in terms of yeah, do they work together? Yeah, so people do enjoy enjoy the face to face side. It's an interesting balance between using technology for decision making and information, but actually, ultimately, you know, personal contact is still pretty important. And uh, the reason why why here is because going back to the roots of Lloyd's, which is going back to 300 years now, that was very much a, a trading marketplace you know, most people will know it started off in a coffee house people were providing insurance for ships and you you met your insurer you met your broker and you and you did the deal and and that's essentially why over time it's continued you know we've continued to stay in the same place yeah. and uh yeah why companies can and do operate like from Bermuda or or, or germany or zurich and they still work with, with the U.S., there's still a lot of the benefit for face-to-face. -face. And, and actually, you'll find like a lot of U.S. brokers, U.S. reinsurers will come over to London, and then a lot of London uh, insurers will go over to the U.S. to meet their clients. So there's still a need to face-to-face -face yeah. remotely, but it's just a, yeah, there's just a benefit of just being able to go down the road for five minutes' walk to go and see someone to do business. I think that it's... Uh, let's take a minute and talk about the London market, um, which is a phrase that we use that is kind of this nebulous, undefined term. For, for those of us who live in the United States, we don't hear about the London market a lot. We don't, we, and we, when we do hear about it, we don't necessarily understand what it is. Can you, for, for, for the sake of those people who don't live here in the UK uh, or deal with the London market, can you give us a minute on explaining what that is and, and its relevance and importance? I might need more than a minute, but I'll, I'll try and keep it. Take uh, your time. Take your time. Have, uh, we have plenty. So essentially, yeah, so, so the London market is sometimes described as the insurance market of last resort. And, and essentially, a lot of the business coming into London, the town, but also London, you know, your term London market, is what's known as specialty insurance, which I'm sure your audience has, has got a reasonably good understanding of different types of insurance, but in, includes reinsurance uh, reinsurance, which many people will know, but also a class of business that probably people are less familiar with, which is excess and surplus lines. Mm -hmm. And in essence, some of them, yeah, the, you could say the reason that London exists and why it's such a significant support for the US. And over, if you look at London, over 50% of the specialty business written in London comes from the US. So it's, it's a pretty significant level of premium. We could talk about numbers in a minute. But in essence, because as, as you'll know, in the US, if you're certainly if you're a personal lines insurer, you need to have your rates agreed by the insurance commissioner and you're very regulated. And so there's not a lot of flexibility of what you can charge on rates. It means that someone has got a, a property or a, or a risk insurance that's a bit unusual, could be on the, on the coast or a high net worth uh, person with, with property or 
yeah, just generally something that is not going to fall within this defined rate band, then that business yeah, will be will, will be turned down by your traditional U.S. carriers or your emitted business, and it will make its way back to London through through various brokers and end up back in London and actually be written in London. So, I guess Rob, to your point, although your audience might not be aware of London, if if they've got a, a holiday home on the beach somewhere, chances are their insurer may actually well be out of out of London. And, and that's, I mean, they basically manage it through diversification, modeling, they're you know, still very careful about charging the right rate. Right. And, and that's essentially where, where London and the Lloyds market has, um, has grown from and, and why it's, yeah, it's been successful. Can you go into a little bit on Lloyds of London itself? I think a lot of people, not, not the smart people listening to the podcast, of course, but their friends, <laughs> think of Lloyds of London as a insurance company. <laughs> right? Like a Liberty Mutual, State Farm, Lloyds of London. But that's not the case, right? There's there's more to it. There's syndicates. Can can you give me a little insight in our guests into what is Lloyds of London and, and who's who's actually insuring these things? Yeah, I mean, when we're thinking about it, it's like a farmer's market for insurance organizations where you've, you go. you've got to uh, spend a fair bit of money to join the market. I mean, it is a marketplace. And so Lloyds exists to provide an ability for we we'll call them insurance companies now because, in effect, they are insurance companies to operate within a single market. And there's a couple of reasons why people would choose to be part of Lloyd. So one is that they can use Lloyd's license to write anywhere in the world. So and you'll be familiar in the U.S. If you need to have a license in the U.S., you need to, you need to get a license in each state, you know, the same worldwide. So any, any organizations that's accepted into Lloyd's can use <clears throat> the Lloyd's license to write anywhere in the world. That's the first thing. And the second thing, Lloyd's has got what it calls a central fund that will provide backing to any insurance company in there. So if you insure through Lloyd's and that company was to be unable to pay the claim, then Lloyd's would back it up. And and so Lloyd's itself, you can, you, you, as you'd expect, is very careful about who comes into, the, into Lloyd's. They have a lot of rules about how much capacity people need to hold. Mm-hmm. They effectively act as the regulator on behalf of external regulators. And there is, at the moment, there are 84, they're called syndicates, but effectively they're insurance companies operating in Lloyd's. Most of those companies are owned by uh, external, many cases, external insurers out of the US or out of out of Japan. So you mentioned Liberty. So Liberty's got its own Lloyd's syndicate writing business out of Lloyd's. Out of Lloyd's. Lloyd's. Yeah. So, so a lot of the well-known companies are writing out of Lloyd's, but that's essentially why, why it exists. That's so interesting. And if I can just go, so historically, or Good, please. please go yeah. ahead. So and actually, one of the reasons historically exists is going back to 1906 for the, for the earthquake in in California, and of course, as you'll know, a lot of that damage was fire damage from the earthquake. And mm. there was a lot of sort of arguments at the time between the insurers about whether it was fire damage or property damage, and the insurers right. were refusing to pay. And then Cuthbert Heath, Heath at the time, who was an underwriter in Lloyd's, said, no, we will cover all of the losses. And they had like 20% of the insured losses for San Francisco. And at the time, that was represented somewhere in the region of $50 million, which today's valuation is about a billion dollars. And they wow. said, no, we're not going to argue that we're not going to argue the contracts, we're just going to pay it. And that actually gave Lloyd's a, you know, it's a fantastic marketing uh, decision for, for, for Lloyd's because of the basis for that, the market then trusted Lloyd's to write the business. Right. And that was right. your, your project question. Yeah, so why is it here and how, why does it still exist? The Lloyd's existed before that, but that was actually where the relationship with the US happened and, and yeah, has continued to this day. So is Lloyd's a company? Or is it a stock exchange? I mean, is it, is it a market? Uh, no, market? it's not. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a physical marketplace in the sense that you, you, you people would actually have a presence within Lloyd's. You, to get access to the, 
the the ability to write business anywhere, you have to be regulated by Lloyd's. There's rules about how you can be part of Lloyd's. It's Lloyd's itself is called a corporation rather confusingly, but it's I mean, so it is, it is a company in the sense it has to trade as a company. But in terms of the relationship with the insurance organisation within Lloyd's, Lloyd's itself is not an investor in those organisations. It's it's basically a marketplace that regulates who takes part of it. And as I said, it's got access to the central fund. People will buy things centrally. Uh, they provide that sort of insurer of last resort, but they don't have a they don't have a financial benefit other than people also need to pay fees to be part of Lloyd's. But they, yeah. they provide the place, <clears throat> the place for it all to occur, if you will. And when I say place, I'm not just talking about physically, but but from a commerce standpoint. Exactly. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. Exactly. Physically, regulatory, from a marketing point of view, but they don't they don't directly benefit as an investor from those individual. Mm. Lloyd's syndicates or insurance. But companies. yet there is a physical place that is quite unique. We walked by it yesterday and it is one of the most unique buildings that I've seen with the with the staircases on the outside. Is is that a, a newer building? Haven't they had a few Lloyd's of London buildings? Uh, well in US Dem is probably quite old. I think it was built in the eighties that version. They've had yeah, oh, they've, okay. had, they've had three buildings, four buildings, somebody I'm sure will correct me. I mean the challenge for them of course is is you move to people now working remotely you know, we're all living in a hybrid world, or certainly here in the UK, where sometimes you've got face-to-face -face meetings, sometimes you're on a, a Zoom call, people using much more computing for analytics and things. So they're still sort of feeling their way as to how they should trade. They're moving a little bit away from the face-to-face -face trading. Yeah. So they're, they're moving with the time. So they're still essentially a meeting point, and they're very physically, they're very central. In terms of like how they function physically and what they offer, that's, uh, that's evolving all the time. I see. So it, it's a very complicated world for, for us to look at. I think over here it's normal, right? It's, it, you know what it is. You know what it means. But for a U.S. company to come over here and say, I want to I want to sell InsureTech over in the, in the, in the U.K. market, in, in the London market, what words of advice do you maybe give a InsureTech from the U.S. wanting to come over here to, to be a part? What, 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 do you, what do you say to them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. I'd say yeah, part of it is the same as in the US. So uh, yeah, everyone, needs, everyone trying to sell a product to insurers needs to have a very clear solution they're trying to sell. I mean, there's a bit of research they can do and come out and say, I've got, you know, got some way of assessing risk to drones, you know, and do a bit of research around what that might be. But as soon as they come out and they want to sell what they're offering, they need to make sure they've got a clear understanding as to how people are buying insurance out here. Yeah. So the first thing is to do their homework to understand what they got off, what are they offering, what are they competing with? Don't, I mean, it doesn't really happen these days, but if you go back probably eight years and you have those people saying, well, insurers, you got it all wrong. Yeah. I'm going to tell you how to do it differently. Yeah. Or, or uh, you don't find many people doing this these days. Like we've got a tool that can replace underwriters. So yeah, hey, you don't need us and you don't need underwriters anymore. AI is going to solve it. Oh, right. yeah. So just the usual kind of like, you know, same kind of things that you do in the US. We're not that different when it comes down to the basic sort of, rules the business. Uh, but I say the other thing to bear in mind is because of the nature of the business, which is this is where it is quite different from the US, particularly if you look at your big you know, commercial underwriters in the US, is that a lot of the, the risks that are coming here are, or the what's insured is individually quite small. So the, so the ability to pay money to assess a risk. So if you're, you're offering a, a tool to assess flood risk to a company that's writing personal lines in the US, I mean, they're going to be getting a few dollars of premium per policyholder by the time they've sort of taken their share of that yeah. program. So they're not, you know, they're going to be able to spend cents understanding what the, the risk is. So you've got to understand, you know, what am I selling? What's the value to the person that's going to buy it? 
and and then how does it differentiate from what it's going to do? So I'd say at the basic level is no different than in the US. But then how do you get into that market? Then, I mean, that's an interesting discussion and probably even more broadly what we're seeing generally about people using platforms and moving from trying to sell their own insurtech product to working through third parties and partnership right. strategies and things about how to get to the market. And, you know, that's not that's not radically different as well. Right. right. So it's probably, so when you said it was complicated, it's actually not, it's like a lot of things, once you've understood the basic principles, it's probably not as complicated as you think. But if you don't understand yeah. the basic principles... And you, have to understand the prin you have to understand yeah. the basics. Yeah. And plus you have to, I mean, we were talking the other day, the, the, the broker is so important over here. I mean, the brokers are always important, but the broker really can be that gatekeeper of sorts to help with claims departments and, and I assume technologies even. I mean, would that, would that be a place or...? Yeah, a bit of both. So, so my background was catastrophe modeling for okay. 25 years with RMS. And the, the reason I mentioned that is the, is the broker side because the so brokers are important in Lloyd's because actually uh, the, the, the rules and the sort of the uh, etiquette is that an insurer doesn't talk, sorry, an insurer in London doesn't talk to their counterpart in the US unless they do it through a broker. Now, in practice, there's a bit more flexibility to that, but they set all the risks coming into Lloyd's. So Lloyd's is, slightly diff Lloyd's is one part of the broader London market. There are companies in London that are insurance companies that are not part of Lloyd's. But certainly through Lloyd's, they have to go through, you have to place it through a broker, you can't go direct. So the can't broker does, they control that channel. Okay. Um, and then the reason I should mention in the technology context is that the brokers also do have a role on, on certain areas of technology, particularly when it's things like catastrophe modeling, where it was, you know, certainly go back 20 years ago, it's so fundamental to the reinsurance price that the you know, that was influencing reinsurance costs. And so the brokers were a key part of being able to comment on the, how good the technology to be able to actually place that risk. So it slightly depends on the how well the brokers know that area, yeah, how they're using it to price. If it is it key to pricing or if it's more like a technology platform, the brokers might have less knowledge. But still, yeah, I mean, the brokers, when their brokers are doing their job really well, they are an advisor as well as a intermediary and a negotiator on the price. I see. So as somebody who's uh, been playing in this pond now for a little while, you, you said that the company started in 2015. I think you joined in mm. 2016 or so. And talk a little bit about InsureTech today. It's changed quite a bit and encountered uh, tremendous changes in the capital markets that have, that have occurred for you know any kind of technology startup in the last few years. What changes are you seeing in InsureTech here we are in 2024? And yeah, you know, by application, how is that different from the US and the UK? Well, I suppose in the, the, if you go back to how the, the, what the funding was like in Europe versus the US, the, the investors in the Europe are much more conservative in the US. And so they tended to look for much more robust evidence of companies making money, having clients. And the investment earlier rounds, on, earlier you on, mean? Yeah, and the investment mm -hmm. rounds were probably... A, even like a multiple, an order of magnitude, so 10 times lower than what you would have seen in the US. So what that's meant for, for Europe, and I, I think in a sense what, what's happened with the US where it's, there's been a lot of investment and then you know, people have been able to under, people have been unable to deliver what the needs of the investors were, is mean that in, the, in, in the Europe for a large part, they've managed to trade through in many cases or they survived, whereas if they'd had much higher funding rounds, they wouldn't have been able to survive. Mm -hmm. What we're hearing from people are being successful or from the market, and I've got to be careful what I say, but it's like sometimes called the boring things that are actually being successful. So oh, it's, yeah. it's how do you make, how do you make this, the exchange of information more, more efficient and how do you extract data from PDFs and you know, these areas that actually just solve the problems that underwriters can relate to. There are certainly yeah, areas such as cyber, which is a 
a new risk and where mm -hmm. you can't use historical pricing to price that the, there's definitely still a lot of value and will continue to be and hopefully more so for for innovative ways of doing business but i'd say you know we when we look at it from the perspective of what we're seeing here the companies that have started to really be successful are those that that went to get clients generated revenue were actually able to charge you know, quite a decent amount of money for what they wanted often came out of insurance themselves so one great example we've had on the podcast a few times and we're doing what they're supporting our event in New York is um, is hyper exponential. Okay. And uh, Amrit Santrasesan, the CEO and founder, was originally a computer engineer, and then went off to train as an actuary. When he was working for an actuary, as for Tokyo Marine Kiln, he realised he couldn't put his actuarial models anywhere, so he built a platform. And then he thought, well, you know, why don't I go and build a business? So he 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 launched that business about six years ago. Went through the Lloyd's Lab, we could talk about. But anyway, it's basically yeah. an incubator. And then just earlier this year, he announced, or well, they announced, $73 million of funding from Dries Horowitz and, uh, and Battery Ventures. Wow. And that was, you know, that's, for anybody anywhere in the world, that would have been quite significant in 2024. For, you know, for the UK, that was very significant. So, and he's an example, and there are others who've just gone out and, and actually done it, you know, what I call the old-fashioned way, step right. by step. And mm -hmm. now, of course, he's got to work out how he spends his money and delivers a return on that. And, uh, and he started to move out to the US. So, so I think what we see is, is things are settling down a little bit on the, the technology side of InsureTech. And then on the MGA side, of course, it's a slightly different dynamic. And yeah, that's really working out where are the, where are the gaps, but I say most importantly, where are the, where's the distribution? So how do you actually get your products to market if mm -hmm. you've got an MGA? Are, are you seeing direct, any direct to consumer here in Britain or Europe? Well, we like, like, I mean, we went, we went through that phase in the U.S. It's yeah. not, it's certainly not as hot as it was. Well, I suppose partly in, in the U.K. in particular, we've actually been used to going direct to our insurer for quite a long time. So we, so we actually had the first telephone insurer called Direct Line about 30 years ago where you'd phone up and get a quote. And it was actually quite sophisticated even then for motor insurance. Hmm. And then we've, people just individually are just more used to buying online. We've got what we call aggregators or comparison sites. Uh -huh. So you've got this in the US now, but you sure. you basically put your your characteristics for your property, your car in, or come back and it'll give you 30 or 40 offerings. And yeah, people generally are quite comfortable doing that personally. So so the, the, the opportunity for someone to come in and disrupt that has been, um, it, it's been harder, but it's, it's works. Whereas in the US, I think from my understanding, it's people have been pushing against yeah, you've got, you've got the big organizations like Progressive or Geico that have got a couple of billion dollars of marketing and right. actually they themselves have already been quite innovative. So, Correct. So, yeah, I think hard to break into it in the same way even the US, but maybe we were a bit there a bit earlier mm -hmm. than what you'd already got across the board as opposed to a couple of companies that were already there. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's uh, lessons that US insurtechs could, could learn from European do any does anything come to your mind of, of of things that you think that they're they're doing better here? Certainly, like you said, the the valuations in the in the U.S. were incredibly frothy, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I mean, before the downturn that occurred, the economic downturn. But but in general, anything come to mind about things that you see that being done better here? In terms of the U.S., I mean, we we know a lot of the U.S. insurtechs. You know, some of the more successful ones out there. Yeah, you know, we would delight to have them as as members and supporters, and have worked with them. And I'd say, yeah, that they're, they're following the same guidance. I'd say for here, and so they're so respectful when they're talking to insurance companies. They're going to learn 
I think one of the things I suggest to people when that, and I think I yeah, mentioned to two of you for, for when you're talking to people is, which, I mean, you know this, you've been around long enough to be sophisticated enough how you go and approach people, but you don't always want to go and say, here's my product, can you buy it? Sometimes right. the, more, you know, the, the, the better way is to do it is say, like, I've got a, I've got a data set here, or I've got some specialist skills here. I think this might be useful for insurance. What do you think? You know, and you can go and do the research and, and if someone's interested in buying and you ask them research questions, you can bet they'll come and buy from you, but don't necessarily always try and try. Because you often get one shot at it. I think right. that's one thing. And then we're doing quite a lot of work helping companies understand why sales cycle slows down. And this is true in the US and it's true mm -hmm. in the UK. I mean, in, and again, I think the, you know, the speed of cycles is not any faster. It's about 16 months, 18 months to make a sale. Sure. Yeah. Because what sure. happens is you you go in as an insurtech and you you get some friendly person in head of innovation or innovation or somebody likes what you're doing. But the reality is there's 40 more people behind them in the company that need to make a decision. And, and mm -hmm. what you don't realize is you've got exactly. to corral all those people. And when someone says yes, it doesn't mean yes, it means I've said yes and, and I've got 14 people to convince who can all say no. So I think it's part of this understanding how do you manage that, that sales process. And often the person you're dealing with doesn't even themselves know how their own internal process works. Right. So there's just a sort of uh, an understanding how to work the process mark the different people in there. That's one thing. I think also understanding what the competition is doing. So in oh, a bit yeah. of plug for what we're doing, but we've got a lot of free information on your different areas such as flood or um, workbenches or platforms or what we're seeing more of the algorithmic trading in the UK. So anybody who's, you know, who believes they've got a new solution should look around and see who else is doing it and at least understand how they position themselves relative to that new solution. Uh, and, and ultimately, insurers are quite smart. And you know, what everyone, despite what everyone says, I think going in and being a little bit naive and thinking you can tell them why they've gone wrong, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't work very well. It's like, how, do, how can you work with them to get through what they, you know, what challenges they've had and actually solve it as opposed to just assume you can just do it better? Yeah. Talking about, you know, learning, you had talked a minute ago about Lloyd's Lab. And I've been on LinkedIn for a long time and I'm always really interested, right? Lloyd's has a a lab that they're teaching people, they're, they're bringing these insure techs through. What, what, what can you tell us about that? And then maybe what are you doing with the individuals who are coming out of there for, for Instech? Yeah, coming in, well, going in and kind of coming out. So okay. this, just so they had their fifth anniversary last year and yeah, they've been feeling their way through themselves in a sense. They, they are their own version of insure tech because Lloyd, so the reason Lloyd's put this in place was they wanted to look for ways to bring more innovation into the market and help because ultimately it's paid for by Lloyd's, which is paid right. for by the 84 syndicates that are in Lloyd's. Right. So they have to sort of deliver something back to their their clients, essentially. So they were looking for ways, how do you bring organizations in that can help people through either like the, the, the traditional, the, well, the MGA route, so essentially they are writing business on behalf of an insurer, uh, or they're providing technology or data. And and they've, Lloyd's mm -hmm. over the five years has just tried people coming in at different levels, like pure startups, through to Swiss Re went in there and they've had some quite sophisticated organizations. Mm, yeah. And we've, we've, we've been fortunate enough to have many of them as members and clients, see them go through the lab. They, it's a 10 week program. The yeah, Lloyd's gets a lot of applications for it. We help people who want to apply and Lloyd's does themselves. You know, it's not right for everybody. Um, they're really looking for people that can come in and have, a, have a, an idea that they can test out with the market. And, and the real sort of, the real measure of success is the mentorship program in the sense that they will want to pair people up with oh. with people working in the insurance companies. So we have one great measure of success is does anybody care? You know, does anybody want to give you some advice and mentor you? Sure. If not, you know, it's probably not a very good product. Right. Um, so yeah, so they've had some really good successes. They're starting to invest in some themselves now. Is, Are they really? So the, Lloyd's, the Lloyd's Lab has got its own investment fund. 
And there's some big names like Parcel you might have come across that's actually out of the US, but it's got a Lloyd syndicate themselves. So they're investing in, in vaccines and they've got a set of parametric product that is triggered when the, or not just vaccines, sorry, it's, it's shipping of, of goods, particularly looking at ones that are refrigerated, but vaccines are a big part of that. So they've got a, they've got a sensor that will measure if the, the goods in transit go above a certain temperature, which means they've been spoiled. And so there's a very efficient trigger for insurance. We have, we have a friend who listens to your podcast and she tells us that you're very interested in parametric. Is that true? And, uh, well, we, Henry Gale why is our, the interest? Henry Gale is our, is our podcast expert. He's one of our researchers and okay. uh, he's a lot smarter than I am. And no, we're very interested in it. I do caveat it slightly because the, there are some very successful parametric companies out there that have focused on specific needs. And again, back to the point about distribution. So for those that don't know parametric, essentially it's an insurance protection that is covered not by the loss or the indemnity, which is traditionally how you'd cover insurance, but by a trigger based on something like could be a wind speed going through a certain location, normally measured by a hardened wind speed recorder. So we like it because it, what it's tending to do is it's, it's offering insurance for, you know, people talk about the insurance gap or protection gap. So where traditional insurance wouldn't cover, it doesn't, it's not been that successful as an alternative. If, if insurance, if a traditional insurance can cover it, it'll probably still get covered. But the exciting thing, I think, from a technology point of view and also, you know, for those that believe insurance is a, is a force of good is it can provide more ways of giving coverage. So we like that. We like the fact that it's got some really interesting people working in it and you get interesting things like heat stress for cows or <laughs> uh, we talked about the, the, <laughs> the, the you know, non-damage business interruption, which is all about yeah. um, supply chains and a whole different area. Of, you know, we started off a lot of it in natural perils, but, but you know, now going into all sorts of different areas and quite creative uses of indices. That's really but it's neat. basically the trigger that 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 makes the whole thing. It happened or it didn't happen. It's it's black and white. There's well, that's the whole. Yeah, that is. Well, that is the question, isn't it? Is that's it the question. Is it, is it black and white? Because is a badly it? designed trigger is not black and white. So you might uh -huh. think it's black and white, and then uh -huh. they don't always work out. So there have been uh -huh. some quite big cases, including up to some like big catastrophe bonds, where the trigger wasn't quite as crisp as it could have been. Uh huh. So tell us a little bit about you. You're running around here, bringing people together. Putting Match on events. What, what, where did you, what, you, you're a longtime industry professional. Tell us, get to, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, no, I, well, I trained as an engineer, but, but it was never really practiced as an engineer. In the UK, we, we sort of do an engineering degree and then go off and do something different um, <laughs> because it's just quite a good degree to have a background. But I did a little right. bit of, I did a bit of work in that area. My, actually, my claim to fame is I, uh, I wrote the 76th update to the emergency plan for Dunray Nuclear Power Station, which is in the north of, the north of Scotland. Oh my goodness. Um, well, yes, I mean, exactly. That's what people said when they looked at it. I think just as well, there were no <laughs> nuclear emergencies. I think they closed it down later on. Because I started off as an engineer working around safety cases and risk management. And then was, was actually, in 90, we had some big windstorms here in, in London in the, in the late 80s and 90s. And, and that's when the first models were being built for windstorm. And that's also when EQE and AIR at the time were building um, hurricane models. And it's, okay. and it's basically, yeah, the catastrophe modeling really started after Hurricane Andrew when 12 companies went bankrupt and, and the regulator and rating agency said, no, you need to start having a much more sophisticated way of modeling hurricane risk. So I was just fortunate enough to, like a lot of people, just in the right place at the right time, my boss left and I was just given responsibility to look after selling catastrophe models into London in 1992 when I was about 26. Wow. So, and then was just, you know, lucky enough to be there early and then, and then just basically saw that growth, joined RMS for 20 years and worked there. But it was, what was interesting about it was understanding what it, 
takes my earlier point about how to get an organization to shift from using old methods or you know often those cases just historical or just your intuition to actually saying well no you know you need a computer and a model is going to give you a much better result and and you is that classic something has to be 10 times better to get people to shift and the models basically allowed insurance companies to buy reinsurance much more effectively and actually retain a lot more risk or use a lot write a lot more business on the back of their reinsurance program because you could model the diversification of different cat- catastrophic losses that's really neat that's really neat i i was thinking um you know a lot of times people think about lloyds of london and in their head they think it's archaic and it's an old way but they have all these new tools right they have all these new tools for these modelings for catastrophe modeling it's not just sitting there using ledgers and, and going through they're actually using these tools these tools that they're investing in today and it's people like you who are bringing new ones to them and say hey meet this company get to know that's got to be exciting yeah and it is and i think to your point about the mark the lloyd's market it's very true i mean there's still some people there i mean i bet there's someone there probably using a an ink pen somewhere to write risks but yeah but you do the traditional form of that market was you could put together a, a syndicate in lloyd's I wouldn't say cheaply, but if you could find the capital, you could do it quite quickly. And so it was designed to be an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial market. So someone would say, the rates are going up in this area, so I'll go and write business there. And so, and then those people were smart and they they wanted to use the best tools. And over time that meant modeling. And and actually that's, so, you know, using RMS as an example about, a little about your earlier question about how do you grow a business, you know, working out where the clients are that can move quickly because they've got agility in terms of decision-making and tools and choices. That was a great example because Lloyd's is quite small and they, you know, the, the company's are quite small mm-hmm. and they had a buy versus build mentality. Whereas if you go into a big US carrier, you know, you can have, again, massive great chains of decision making. So it was very exciting. But again, it's the same thing. I mean, it takes a long time to get people to adopt new technology and move from the early adopters through to the late majority on that you know, technology adoption cycle. Yes. For those of us who have been salespeople in this industry, it takes uh, a lot of patience because uh, nothing is built in a day. That's true. Uh, my son is a tech entrepreneur in a whole different industry and things happen quickly, right? In, a, in weeks or a month or even a day. But in our industry, not so much. It moves slowly. I, I do want to ask you here towards the end. So Everything in insurances, relationships, especially as Rob and I are coming over here, all we hear about is it's all relationships. And it's so true in the U.S., relationship between the homeowner and the insurance agent. That's what it is, relationships. And that's what you're building here at, 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 at your company. You're, you're creating mm. these, these relationships. So why, I guess, I guess, how does somebody come to become a member of Instec, right? And, and, and what is the ultimate why? What is the ultimate why, and, and how do they do it? Well, thank you for that question. Yes, it's a great question. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, I suppose we, so in a way, we are quite, let me phrase this carefully, I don't want to sound like we're too selective, but what's very important for us is that people embrace the spirit of collaboration, I think. So mm-hmm. so in the early days, what we're doing, you know, frankly, if someone turned up with some money and they said, want to be a member, we go, great, we'll take your money. Today, we're a little bit more thoughtful about who we work with, and we're really looking for people that, understand the power of a community and respect the power of community and 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 that's one side of it um but also they've actually got something we think is is a is a good product and is actually worthwhile representing them for other people we'll still work with organizations that are competing against each other we've got a lot of our members 
for example, are providing flood models or we talk about catastrophe modeling or... Right. But, but they're all in their own way. Yeah, they, they're very high quality people. We, we respect what they're doing. And so the first thing we do with people is have a conversation about what do you, what do you want to achieve? And, and you know, we all, we all great believers in paying forward. So we'll often make a few introductions anyway, just to say, look, well, you've got an interesting thing and, and you know, we should A, meet B. And you get a quite a lot of good feeling out of people when you do that. You know, do they, do they right. sort of follow that? The people we don't work so well with is when they, you know, the first question is, well, how many leads can you generate for us to sell right. our bit of technology? Because that's just, you know, that's, that's, not not how the, it, yeah. that's not how the world works. So that's, so we, the website, we've just revamped our website and, you know, it looks great. Well, we, you know, do you like, what's your favorite color, yellow or purple? Because we've done a lot of just scratch edging, head scratching. <laughs> a lot of thought on, on that. <laughs> <laughs> so now we've tried to make it more um, more focused around the, the insurer and the knowledge in there. And so that hopefully is, is gives people a bit of an indication. And But ultimately, if people are interesting and they've got some great tech, you know, ultimately we, we also benefit from introducing those to our insurance clients. So so I just I say to people, if you're interested in a chat about what you're doing, let's we'll get on a call or see you and talk about it, and if we can help you, that's great. If not, you know, let's stay let's stay in contact because you know, the world's a small place. Ultimately, you never know where it ends up. But you're not just for UK. No, correct. I mean, it's per, it's relevant in the states as well. Yeah, yeah. No, we do, thank, thanks, Rob. No, we have quite a few companies that actually are in the US, selling into the US, in the US, looking to come into the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, we're doing our event in in the New York. So yeah, we 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 are not we certain areas we don't go into. Like in life and health is not just a strong area for us, but there's a lot of overlap between what people are writing in the US and what they are over here, and a lot of companies that are right. covering parallel. So absolutely, yeah, we, we and we do work with a number of your larger, or have worked with a number of the larger insurtechs, and and even this you know, all the way up to Google and S and P and Moody's in the US. Yeah, you mentioned that you're doing an event with Google. Mm-hmm. What's what's that? Well. This might really thanks the generosity of Nigel Walsh and his colleagues at Google Cloud. So Nigel's British, but actually he's out in the US running Google Cloud. And we've used their venue last year. We're back in their offices this year. And we're bringing together Hyper Exponential, Saitora, Kroll, Guidewire, really aimed at underwriters. And it's really just a chance to see, from my earlier point, what are some of the tools out there that actually are, are working and making underwriters' lives easier. I mean, it's, it's, there's obviously technology that does that, but it's... Mm-hmm. We're very much a believer in let's talk about things actually happening now, not you know what's going to be happening some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Without sorry, quick one. I know we're running out of time. No, please. We're also going to be doing you know, for anybody that's listening and wants to know more about it. We're doing a founders event, so bringing founders together in the Google offices to talk about how to raise funds. Basically, when you go from a oh, that's great. Where you go from a from a the early sort of angel investor, but people looking to raise late seed, Series A and beyond, and just. You know, it was a surprise to me of that community of people that either think will know each other, back to our earlier point about collaboration, even here in London, people who've built companies often don't know people who've built other companies. And, and so we try and run events where they can meet each other and there's no agenda or there is an agenda, but, you know, we keep it quite special to that group. And that's, you know, it's really valuable just in an hour of talking to somebody who's building a company and got the same same challenges as you do, you can learn. That's wonderful. When, when is the uh, New York event? New York event is the 14th of March in the afternoon. Okay. Information on the website. And uh, yeah, Perfect. got a few seats left, but it's filling up pretty quickly. And it's instech.io? No, instech.co. Okay. .co. I-N-S-T-E-C-H dot C-O. Yeah, I'm sure we can put it in the episode notes. Okay. We will. We absolutely will. What a, what a pleasure to have you here. What a, it was a great what conversation. What a pleasure for us to be here. We came a long way for this, I want you to know. That's right. It was, it was worth it. it was you worth didn't disappoint minute. us. Well, you're very kind. I mean, I, you've, you let me ramble on a bit because I know one of the challenges I have when I'm interviewing people 
because we've done up to about 300 podcasts now is yeah. not talking too often. So I apologize. You, I know editing is very easy these days, so you can edit me out. No, we love it Listening is important. We it's, love it It's an all. important part, but, but it's great. I mean, we don't usually have another podcaster on. That's a pretty rare thing. And uh, we should do another episode sometime to do like confessions. Confessions of, of a, a podcaster. <laughs> confessions of an InsureTech podcaster. Without all, takes. All the salacious <laughs> yeah. details. What do you think? I think that'd be, that'd be interesting. <laughs> we'll go with interesting. Interesting. Uh, quite good. That'd be quite good. It, would it be? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, we won't um, ask you which quite good that is. That's right. Okay. I look forward to it. Might even be able to I, I, I think the people that listen to that episode would be saying, oh man, this is quite good. <laughs> quite good. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, thank you. And um, we'll see you next time we're in uh, London. No, thank you. And I've learned a lot. You're a fantastic host. I've taken away a lot of lessons as well myself. So it's, I know how precious these podcast episodes are. So we'll make sure we... Uh, share it with the world and yeah, tell people about Alacrity as well. We haven't really done that. So we'll have to have another, another chat with you. We'll have another chat. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Matthew. Okay, thank, thank you. you. That was fun. Wasn't that fun? It was that fun. Was a, that was a great podcast. And what a cool studio to actually be able to sit in the studio with the lighting and the, and the microphones. Yeah. And It really kind of illuminated for me how, how, how janky we are. <laughs> I didn't think that, but we are I did. janky. We're janky. We're we're all in our own spaces on our own janky recording devices, and but we get it done. You wouldn't we necessarily it know it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think the listeners can really appreciate. Well, there is a there's a photo online on LinkedIn of us sitting on the couch, but the yeah. the lighting is what made it so exciting. I just felt like I was on a stage. Um, Something about it. I felt like it was professional. All right. Thank okay. you, Spike, for letting us be there. Thanks, Spike. Thanks, Matthew. What a great guy. Yeah. Really, really a wonderful guy. And friendly and, and welcoming and very supportive. Very supportive. Very, very. And and went out of his way to help us. He really did. And so if any of you ever have a chance to help Matthew Grant, please do. Great guy. Mm-hmm. And we thank you and thank them over there across the pond. Yeah. And thanks to Alicia and Al for uh, working with us to get it done. And thanks to my little co-host, Lee, for dragging me along to London. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for hopping aboard and coming along. So until next time. Goodbye, everybody.